So the reading is from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 12, and it's on page 1204 of the Church Bibles. So that's Hebrews chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right, uh, thanks Caroline. Uh, for anyone who don't know me, I'm Jessica Tennant. I'm one of the occasional preachers here. And Hebrews 6 happens to be one of the most difficult and controversial uh, texts in the whole New Testament. But I've had strict instructions from Mark not to whinge about it, but to use it as a learning opportunity. So um, what's the problem with it? Well, the problem is um, 4 to 6, which says, it's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. And that is really scary because you feel the one thing that separates Christianity from all the other faiths is that we don't have to work hard and work hard and work hard and not know if we're saved because we know we're saved. But this verse, or this set of verses, makes you wonder, what's happening? What's this all about? So I did a bit of reading about it, and I found there were differences of opinions. But also, a lot of people who are just totally confused. So let's look at what exactly is the problem with this verse. What I'm going to do, just a, a sort of basic... Uh, idea of the Christian journey. 
So we start out at some point as seekers. We're interested. Um, if the elder generation might have gone to a Billy Graham um, talk, um, younger people gone to an Alpha course, joined church for some reason, started coming, um, interested and attracted by faith. But then something happens, something absolutely amazing happens, something transformational that Jesus describes as being born again so that none of us can approach God because we're all imperfect. We all do wrong things all the time and God is holy and perfect. If we went into his presence, we would just burn up. But we know that Jesus died on the cross. He took every wrong thing we ever did on the cross. He took it and he died and all those things died and he took the punishment for everything we'd done and then he went down into death and then he rose again to the highest place. And in baptism, that's what happens to us. We go down into death with Jesus, we rise up, holy and perfect in God's eyes, so we can approach God. And the moment we're born again, we go into eternal life. And even though we might die in earthly terms, in heavenly terms, we're living forever. And when we get to the end of this mortal life, we go to be with Jesus and God for all eternity. And for some people, this being born again is instantaneous. So I can tell you that one day I wasn't born again, the next day I was. And all the people around me could spot an immediate difference. For some people, it's very gradual. They don't even notice it. They have a season where maybe they're seekers and then another season where they know they're absolutely born again, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then our time on earth, once we've been born again, is about growing. It's about getting to know God better. It's about becoming more like Jesus. It's about doing all the work that he has given for us. But we know that it's not just a straight path upwards. It's much more like this. And a lot of the time, it's fall, repent, repeat in our lives. But that's okay, because we know that we're saved because of what Jesus did, not what we did. So we know we're saved forever. And we know that every time we fall, when we repent, God takes us back, don't we? Except for this verse in Hebrews. So what you need to do when you find a verse that just totally throws you is to look at the context. So let's look at, first of all, the context of the whole Bible. Now, if I was to stand here and, and do a talk on God's forgiveness, going through all the examples in the Bible, we'd miss lunch. So I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna give a few examples. I'm cutting out the Old Testament altogether, and there's loads of examples of God forgiving in the Old Testament. Let's just start with the story of the parable son, because this is the, uh, the, the parable of the lost son, because this is Jesus telling us what God's like. You remember the story? The son has all the blessings of living in his father's house. He has his father's love. He shares in his father's riches, but he wants to take his portion and go away and, and just squander it, which he does. And then he crawls back 
helpless and hopeless, not expecting anything. And there's his father waiting for him at the gate. His father's actually keeping watch at the gate just for his son to return. And when he returns, he greets him and just restores him to his original place. And this is Jesus telling us what God is like. God is our loving father who is waiting for us. And we see this very much in the story of Peter. Peter, who'd been with Jesus for three years, was one of his best friends. And yet, when Jesus was taken captive, Peter denied that he knew him three times. And then John tells us that after the resurrection, Jesus gives Peter the chance to turn round three times, he says to Peter, do you love me? And then three times he gives Peter a job, feed my sheep, look after my sheep. So that's a wonderful example of full repent. Oh, there's all the, the, the epistles. Romans is particularly full of it. Romans 8 starts with, there is no condemnation, and then ends in, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And Romans 11:29 actually says, for God's gift and his call are irrevocable. And then there's loads of examples as well of how God keeps us safe and, and keeps us going. I've just chosen one from Jude 24. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. So that's the biblical background. So now we, we need to think, well, where does this verse come from? So let's look at the Hebrews context. And we see the writer to the Hebrews is writing to a very vulnerable church. They're small they're persecuted and he's got two worries one is that the the Jewish Christians they're going to go back to Judaism and the second one is that they're going to stay as Christians but they're not going to grow at all and so what most commentators say this verse means is that it's the seekers it's those who joined the church but haven't yet signed on the dotted line, haven't yet been born again. And they have a choice. They can either go with Jesus or they can go back to their roots. And the worry is that they go back to Judaism. And the reason they can't be saved after that is not because God doesn't want to save them, but because they're looking in the wrong place. So rather than looking at Jesus' death and resurrection as the way to eternal life and the presence of God... They're going back to looking at temple sacrifices, the blood of animals to save them. And of course, that doesn't have the same power. And also, I don't know, around uh, about this time, the temple's going to be destroyed and there aren't going to be any more temple sacrifices. But we mustn't forget the other point that... Um, that the writer's making, not get so caught up in the, will I lose my salvation? Is there something I do that's so wrong that can never be repented of? We actually need to look at the other side, which is not growing in the faith, that you become a Christian, you're born again, you enter eternal life, and then you just stop there. As Tom Wright puts it, it's kind of the equivalent of learning to read and getting stuck on the ABC song and never going any further. 
It's just being a passenger. As, as the writer of the Hebrews describes it, you have two fields, one with a, a growing, flourishing crop. That's people that are growing in faith. And the other one, just weeds and thorns. And it's really important that we do keep on growing. So what does it all mean for us today? Now, unless uh, when my friend Joe, who um, works with um, Messianic Jews, we don't have to worry about people going back to Judaism. But we do have to worry about people coming into the church, seeking, and then having a choice. Do I keep going ahead with that, or do I go back to the world? And ending up going back to the world. And of course, the sort of rewards of the world are quite different. I think in, in our society, most people are not looking for eternal life. They're not looking for life after death. They're not looking for a relationship with God. They're looking for rewards in the present. And they might be things like wealth, fame, beauty, or they might be really good things like ending poverty, uh, protesting against climate change, but they're still earthly. And people who leave the, the faith behind and go off to do these things, once again, they won't come to repentance, not because God doesn't want them desperately to come back to him, but because they're looking in the wrong place. But I do have to add the elephant in the room which is, in my long life as a Christian, I've seen many people who seem to have been born again, who seem to have been on fire for God, and who got lost. Um, a lot of our children, I think, are in this, um, in, the, in this. And you have to wonder, maybe for some of them, that they looked like they were Christians, but they weren't. Or it might be that they have been born again and they've got lost and then all we, have to, all we can do is hope and pray that God still has their hand, his hand on them and will bring them back even if it takes the whole of their lives. But for us, we can also stop growing. We can just be passengers, can't we? We can come to church on Sundays. We can even go to house group but then nothing else changes. We don't become more like Jesus we don't get to know God better we don't do the work that we're supposed to be doing to bring the kingdom in what's important here I'm not talking about seasons there are seasons in our life when we will be more productive and there are seasons in our life when there are more pressing things than going forward with God like bringing up very small children like um, having a serious illness like being bereaved and that's fine because we know it's good for fields to lay fallow and it is a growing time, but it's a different sort of growing time. I'm talking about just stopping what the writer of the Hebrews calls kind of spiritual laziness. And we see it not just in people who don't grow, but in people who don't become more like Jesus. And how often do you think people might have been put off the church by people who are born again, but stay not very nice people? And of course, they're saved by grace, but it doesn't forward the kingdom at all. So what are we called for? Now, um, I want to remind those of you who were here about my talk on Hebrews 3, and if you weren't, I talked about um, how to keep going in the faith. And two things, being a worshipper 
and being a brick. And uh, Becca sent me an email saying, that was a helpful sermon, but I've got a picture now of a worshipping brick. So here it is, a worshipping brick. And why are we worshipping bricks? Because our lives need to be based on worshipping God, getting to know him better, reading our Bibles, praying, praising. But also, in Hebrews 3, it says that we are God's building. That in the time of the Old Testament, God lived physically in the temple or the tabernacle, but now he lives in us as we build the church, not the physical church, but the church that's made of people. And all of us need to be bricks, but not just bricks sitting alone in a field, but bricks that are all joined together, helping each other, supporting each other, working together to bring God's presence into the world, to bring the kingdom in. So, to conclude, if you haven't been born again, go for it. If you have stopped growing as a Christian, isn't Lent a good time to start thinking about how do I move forward? It might be that you want to get closer to God, you want to take up praying more, you want to take up reading the Bible, you might read a Lent book, there are some at the back of church at the moment. You might want to look at yourself and say, well, what is it in me that's stopping me from being like Jesus? Is there anything I can do about it? Is there a habit? Is there something that's a block in my life that I can spend 40 days fixing. It could be about becoming more involved with, with work. Am I doing the work I'm supposed to be doing for God or do I need to look for something else? But I think the most important thing to take from this is that you don't take a passage in isolation and get freaked out by it. We have to take the whole message of the Bible and the whole message is how much God loves us. And that is what we need to take.